Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. It was 1969. In fact, it indeed was the summer of 69. For those of you that will have that running through your head until we sing the last song. But it was in Pass Christian, Mississippi. And for whatever reason, probably because it's just typical of that area, Louisiana is a little bit more common when it comes to them. Maybe you've attended one before, but there was a hurricane party that was going on. Unfortunately, a Class 5 hurricane, Hurricane Camille, was on its way. Maybe it was arrogance that caused them to disregard what was happening. Maybe they were ignorant of how dangerous the situation was. We will never truly know what was going on in their minds at that time. But as things were getting ferocious, Chief Jerry Peralta pulled up and he pulled up to the posh Richelieu apartments and he came up and he said, hey, y'all have got to get out of here. It's getting worse. And someone up on the second floor balcony with a drink in his hand kind of waved at him and, and laughed and people started to come out on the balcony and one gentleman even said, hey, this is my property. If you want me off, You've got to arrest me. But Chief Peralta didn't arrest anybody that day. And he went and he went and started talking to each person, trying to convince them on a one-on-one level that this was going to be a bad storm. They needed to get out of there. And no one was listening. They continued to laugh at him. And he took down their names and he even asked them for their next again. I don't know about y'all, but when somebody that has got a police uniform is like, okay, you're not going to listen to me. Let me get your next again. Let me get their name, phone number, address. I might be going, okay, he's not kidding. This is not a joke. But they didn't listen. And later on the news, after that storm had hit with winds up to 205 miles an hour where raindrops were flying as hard as bullets with waves between 22 and 28 feet high. When the news went and looked, it was the place there in Past Christian that had been basically motels and go-go bars and the, most of you have no idea what that is. That's okay. And gambling houses. And the Richelieu apartments had taken the brunt to the point where it was down to the foundation. There was nothing left. And 20 people lost their lives that day. All but one little boy died. 
and he had been clinging to a mattress. There is a price for arrogance and pride, especially in the light of an authority giving us a warning. This morning I want you to turn to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 14. Whether you've got it on your phone or whether you brought Kindle or you brought a good old-fashioned paper-bound book, the Bible, whatever you're turning to, I want you to turn there this morning. If you're still turning there, that's all right. I'm going to read verse 9 and 10 from the New King James Version. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Luke's giving us a warning here. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, of those of you who might be close to my generation, or maybe you saw it on reruns. It kind of reminds me of the, the Dukes of Hazard, where the narrator's like, well, you know, this doesn't look good for the Duke boys. It's not looking good for them. Luke's kind of like, hey, guess what? Something's coming. Be prepared. And I, and I want to say this morning, I've been looking at this for weeks, and my heart has been pierced this morning. Because, you know, doesn't matter who you are or what you do, none of us are perfect. And if I step on your toes this morning, that's not intentional. It just might be the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention. Amen? But as we're getting into this, I, I kind of want to go back a little bit to what Chaplain Verdon had said. Maybe you weren't here last week, or, you know, for whatever reason, you were thinking more about what you were going to eat over at Cane's after the service. <laughs> Maybe you didn't take notes. But I want to remind you a little bit about what he was talking about, because the passage that's, that brings us into the context of what's going on, okay? And Jesus is still most likely somewhere between Jerusalem and Galilee. That, that's not exactly a small area. We have no idea where it was. That's all Luke gives us. And he had been approached by the Pharisees. And what Chaplain Verdon had talked about with the persistent widow was that first, the widow is an example for us. That... The judge was not righteous at all. In fact, he says flat out, I am not a righteous man. I could care less about this lady. But because of her persistent appeals, he listens to her. But the good thing is, we have power in God's promises because God is our righteous judge. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I... Just be prepared. I'm going to expect you to say some things coming up here in a minute. The key thing, if you took nothing away from the sermon last week, and, and if you didn't want to see it or listen to it or weren't here, it is on our YouTube channel. Pray and don't lose heart. Pray and what? Don't lose heart. What did I say? Pray. Don't lose heart. Amen. Okay, so, you know... We've, we've done, set the table here a little bit. Yep. 
All right. Now, Luke says that he was speaking, that there were some there that trusted in themselves. Now, we assume that that's the Pharisees that had come initially to say, when is the kingdom of God coming? Because the Pharisees, maybe you didn't know it, but the Pharisees believed that when the Jews kept the perfect Sabbath, the kingdom of God was coming. I hate to tell you all, nobody can, none of us can keep any of the commandments perfectly. Right. Especially together. Somebody's going to mess up somewhere. That's a lot of pressure to put on everybody. But that's where this got started. And maybe he's speaking this parable to the Pharisees because he did that a lot. But it's not just to the Pharisees. It's to us too. He's, he's giving this to us because I don't know about you, and don't don't raise your hand. Who who here trusts themselves? Unless maybe it's with chocolate cake or you know some any time alone where that temptation is staring you in the face. But yeah, you know, let's face it. If you want something done right, do it yourself. Yep. Do it yourself. Mind you, that is nowhere in the Bible. Maybe it's in Hesitations 9.14. God helps those. Also not in the Bible. You know, we, we think about this because, honestly, we think that we can trust ourselves because we know what we're thinking. We know what our motivations are. We know where we're at. Unlike someone last Wednesday who had a migraine and didn't to come up here. Uh, that, that was me, by the way. Um, we're not worried about us because we can fix us, we think, at least. So it's common for us as human beings to place trust in ourselves, which is interesting because on our money it says, in God we trust. Don't know if our nation truly holds to that motto as much as we used to. But honestly, how can we trust ourselves? We are a creation. We have not been here all of time and before time began and after time ends, we hopefully will be around. And... If we're trusting ourselves, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And if there's somebody trusting in their own righteousness, that's a dangerous road as well. Psalms 14.3 says, They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. I will not discuss and explain what those filthy rags exactly are. Just filthy rags. Cannot be, cannot be clean. This isn't the point I want you to necessarily get this morning, but this is getting us where we need to go. 
It doesn't matter what we have done, how much good we do in our lives, it will not earn our salvation, period. We cannot keep the law perfectly. We've already broken it, and that's done. That's God's standard. His law kept perfectly. We cannot do it. Not by any standard we can think of. So we got a little bit of a problem here because he's talking to people that put trust in themselves and that believe that they are righteous and despise others. Ohana, the church is not a members-only club. And, yeah, I know this is a chapel, but it, this is a church. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're part of the church of God, and it's not the building. It is you. And we cannot do good enough or be wealthy enough to earn a spot in the church of God. It's not exclusive. Paul said in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, the distinctions that we make between each other, God does not make those distinctions. On outward appearance, he looks at the heart. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter what your past is. God looks at the heart. We are all equal in Christ. Okay? So we cannot trust ourselves, which is, sorry, sorry, Anderson, that's point one. We cannot trust ourselves. We can only trust in God. Only in God. So, Luke giving us that warning, like I said, kind of like the narrator from Dukes of Hazard. He goes on to verses 11 and 12 and says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. Wow. That's how I hear him in my head, by the way, in case you're wondering why I was speaking in a weird voice. You know, not everybody does that as well as Chaplain Runnels. Um, plain and simple, it's, it's interesting when we're looking at the Pharisees, I, I discussed a little bit about the fact that they had this belief that the kingdom of God was coming when the Jewish nation kept the perfect Sabbath. It's only one commandment. They ignored like the rest of the, the other nine. So when I'm looking at what he's saying, I find it very interesting because he says that he's not an extortioner. And yet... Later on in Luke, Jesus clears the temple because the Pharisees were part of that temple system. They were religious leaders, and therefore they were deeply into it. They were invested in that temple system. And if you went to the temple and you were going to pay, pay for an offering out of your money, they wouldn't take your money. It, was, it, had, a, it had a heathen symbol on it. It had a pagan symbol. 
They had Caesar's face on it. Therefore, that was a graven image. Therefore, they couldn't accept it because you were sinning just by turning that into the temple. Yeah. So you had to change your currency, which was perfectly good and legitimate, to temple currency. And by the way, they're going to charge a fee. So that little coin that had the graven image on it, they didn't have any problem taking that for temple currency. And they had some other things that they would do. If you were like, hey, I'm just going to bring my own animal to sacrifice for sin or goodwill or whatever it was, they would inspect your animal and inevitably they would find something wrong with it. It could be the purest white dove you've ever seen and they would say, no, I'm, I'm sorry. There's this, this little speck right here. No, 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 don't look. You can't see it. Only I can see it. This dove had an impure thought. Therefore, you know, they would exchange it again for a fee for a different dove that would had been inspected, usually brought in by someone else that they had rejected before. So, honestly, he says he's not an extortioner, and yet, whether he knows it or not, whether he'll admit it or not, he probably is. He says he's unjust. Brothers and sisters, God loved the Pharisees. They wanted to keep the law so well that they added to the law a series of other commandments that they wrote themselves about things that needed to be done, most of them pertaining to the Sabbath and keeping the perfect Sabbath. So to say he's unjust, and yet they were adding to the burden that people had that simply just wanted to come and worship God. He says he's not an adulterer. I hope he wasn't among those men in the temple when they brought a woman that wasn't wearing a stitch and had been caught in adultery to Jesus. Because when they did that, Jesus bent down and started writing. Now, we don't know exactly what he wrote. But it's interesting that the Pharisees, from the oldest to the youngest, started getting up and walking away. Maybe because Jesus was reminding them that they were just as bad as she was. Hence, adulterers. Not to mention the fact that the Pharisees had this idea, there was this train of thought that if their wives burned the bread for dinner, that it was justifiable to present her with a certificate of divorce because she'd been thinking about having an affair with the neighbor, and that's why she burned the bread. Interesting things. I mean, this guy. What a hypocrite! He misses the point altogether. Point number two. He misses the point. He doesn't get it. I mean, can you believe it? And yet... Well, we may be sitting there, some of you may be saying, Amen, get him, chaplain. When we criticize the Pharisee, we're despising him, and we're doing just what Jesus is trying to tell us not to do. We've got to be careful, and I don't want to spend all morning on this guy, because it'd be easy to do that. We could pick the Pharisee apart all day long, and we would like it. We would enjoy it. 
it's a whole lot more comfortable to be standing up on top of the hill looking down at the peons and laughing and saying, look how they've got it all wrong. It's a whole lot harder for us to be sitting at home looking in our mirror while our heart is broken because we recognize that we are not so great. In fact, maybe we're worse off than this guy was and worse than most people if we're thinking about it. But what's interesting is this guy says he's none of these things and yet if we're looking at it, he was most likely. We don't know him. We can't judge him, but and we shouldn't. But when we're looking at the next three verses, Jesus says to this group, and the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Ohana, the tax collector, approached God in humility. There is not a doubt in my mind. And while it doesn't say much, what Jesus is saying shows us a lot. Now, I don't know how in the world this Pharisee knew that this was a tax collector. Maybe he had to give his taxes to this guy. I don't know. Maybe he had to visit his booth. But the tax collector, the way he was viewed, is interesting. He was viewed as his own by his own people as an extortioner. Because, much like someone else, he had to collect money for taxes and he didn't just collect what was due he collected a little extra and it went right into his pocket a little like something I talked about a minute ago the Pharisee says that he's not unjust and yet the tax collector had a tendency to seize lands seize you know, cattle and other livestock in order to take care of the debt that they had already made worse. Kind of like something else I talked about a few minutes ago. The Pharisee said he was not an adulterer. And yet, when they looked at the tax collector, they considered that this was a man that was literally in bed with Rome. And there was no one worse than Rome because Rome was their oppressor, the oppressor that they needed to get rid of, that God needed to take out. And he was willingly, he wasn't pushed into this service. He wasn't forced to do it. He was willingly doing it. And therefore, the Jewish people viewed them as the worst of sinners. And yet, when God looks at the Pharisee, who was probably as close to the front as he could possibly get, and he was looking at 
this tax collector who would have been sitting as far back as he could, probably trying as hard as he could to scrunch up as small as he could be so that he was not noticed or seen. When God looks at the two of them, he doesn't see a whole lot of difference when it comes to their sin. He views them both as hypocritical and having committed some of the same sins in just slightly different ways, which some people might have considered extremely important. In fact, if this tax collector had been going on one side of the street, people would literally cross to the other side of the street so as not to be within the shadow of this horrible sinner. If he had been on fire, nobody would have spit on him. In fact, they considered that this tax collector and all other tax collectors would have an express ticket to the fires of hell. And yet, while this man would have had considerable wealth and not a care in the world, he approaches God in humility. He is not haughty at all. He stands far off. He doesn't feel that he even has any business approaching God because he can feel the dirt of his sin. It says that he's not even raising his eyes. I I know we've got some parents in here. When you catch your child doing something wrong, do they look at you? You have to typically tell them, hey, look at me. I need to know you're hearing what I'm telling you. They know they messed up. There's no doubt in their mind, and that guilt is weighing on them. This Pharisee is the same way with his heavenly father. He doesn't raise his eyes. He keeps his eyes on the floor because he is just heartbroken, feels unworthy. He wears his sin as a badge of shame. This is a man that would have seen stonings, that would have seen the crucifixions in the very square of towns and cities. He would have had no doubt in his mind that the wages of sin is death, that all a sinner is owed by God is death. That's what sin deserves. That is the natural result of sin. And yet, here he is. He has... Nothing to offer. He is not offering up a single good deed. I mean, maybe, maybe this guy helped someone out somewhere along the way. I'm sure he hasn't been completely vile and horrible. He's not a Disney villain looking around to try to see how he can make everyone else as miserable as he is. That's not who this guy is. And yet he's not offering a single good thing in his life to God. He is Ohana poor in 
spirit. Do you know what Jesus says about the poor in spirit? That theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And yet this man doesn't even feel worthy to stand in the courtyard of the temple of God. He has approached God in humility. Jesus says that he is beating his breast. Have you ever just felt so brokenhearted that all you could do was this and you couldn't even utter a single word? I can see the tears coming down from his face. His face is distorted. And it's not for a show like someone else probably would have done when they were fasting twice a week. He is literally in mourning. He is mourning the wasted time in which he has chased after his pet sins. Most likely greed. He is mourning the pain that he has caused other people, those around him, his family. He is mourning the squandered blessings that God had given him. But you know what Jesus says about those that mourn? That they will be comforted. And here he is, this vile sinner who has no business being in the presence of God, and he is asking for God's mercy. He recognizes that he, Ohana, is powerless. That he can literally do nothing to save his own soul. Do you know what another word for powerless is? Meek. He is meek in heart and knows that he can only turn to God. And he turns to God in humility with a repentant heart. You know what Jesus says about the meek? They will inherit the earth. This man wants what he does not have. He does not have that righteousness in his life. He doesn't recognize any single thing that he has done as good. Quite a bit like Paul who said that everything that he had done as a Pharisee was like dung in the street. This man is hungering and thirsting, not for righteousness to be accounted to him, but to be righteous, to literally be transformed from the monster he views himself as into a righteous man. And you know what Jesus says about those that hunger and thirst for righteousness? They will be satisfied. Ohana, we have one man that came, not even literally praying to God, but having a conversation with himself on holy ground. And in his pride and in his vanity saying, I am wonderful, look at me. Everyone, no seriously, look at me, look at me. 
Be like me. I'm awesome. I have a one-way ticket, golden irrevocable ticket, to the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, that ain't it. He missed the point. And there's a man in the very back corner, as far back as he can get, not willing to raise his eyes to heaven in hope. He's mourning. He is weak. He's poor in spirit. And he is hungry. And he is thirsty. And he comes before God in ultimate humility. He comes humbly asking. Ohana, Jesus says that man. He went home justified. In other words, when he went home, God said, your sins are forgiven, brother. He went home being called a child of God by the only one that mattered. Not by those around him. Not by his own countrymen who viewed him as a traitor and as the most vile person possible. But by God himself. By the creator. We can't expect to go before God proud and to come home justified. Our hearts need to be broken for the sins that we have committed. We are no better than that Pharisee. We, Ohana, are worthy only of death. But God is waiting by the road And no matter who we are, what we've done, we may have done absolutely the worst and most hideous things, committed the worst sins possible, broken every single one in the book or on the stone tablets as it was. And yet he is watching for us by the road, longing and hoping for us to turn off that path of destruction and turn back towards him to repent. And brothers and sisters, when we put our pride aside, when we stop trusting in ourselves and trust only in the one that can get us home, when we put our trust in God, he will run to meet us and there will be rejoicing in heaven. Ohana, as I have been preaching to myself this morning, I hope that it is clear what Christ expects from his disciples. Let us take a long, hard look in the mirror of the Word of God this morning. And if the shoe fits, there is no place for self exaltation and pride in the kingdom of God. Let us, like the tax collector, humble ourselves, counting our works as worthless, mourning our sin, and repenting to walk with the Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as our hearts are breaking this morning, we turn to you, and as you have already paved the way for us, as you have already paid 
the price for our sin through your son Jesus Christ on the cross. May you help us in remembering this as we take part in this communion this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.